When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Pittsburgh Steelers fans, it's time once again for another edition of the Know Your Enemy podcast. My name is Michael Beck, your deputy editor of BehindTheSteelCurtain.com, and my co-host, as always, one Mr. Jeffrey Benedict, film guru extraordinaire. Jeffrey, how are you doing tonight, sir? Doing pretty good, Michael. Doing pretty good. Yeah, that's good to hear. And as always, we like to have a special guest for these shows. So Spencer Schultz from uh, Baltimore Beatdown, thank you for joining the program. Yeah, absolutely. I'm excited. It's been... uh... Interesting having to wait so long, especially in the Ravens case for these divisional games. Usually there's kind of a one-off some point in the first half, but hey, we're going to have a little bit more excitement here in the cold months as AFC North football is intended, as God intended, one might say. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I saw the stat today where uh, this is the latest the Steelers and Ravens first matchup of the year has ever occurred. So that's pretty interesting. Of course, uh, I believe it's week 17. Uh, or week 18, I guess now, is the uh, the next matchup. So uh, coming uh, pretty hot. But uh, obviously the Ravens are in first place of the division. Uh, they're honing in uh, on uh, the top seed in the conference, if I do believe. But uh, are, are the Ravens that team? There's some stats that would say they might not be as dominant as they are, but they keep getting wins, so you can't deny that. Is Baltimore exactly what their record shows? It's a, that's a, it's a little bit of a... Dual-edged sword answering that question, because if you are to tell a Ravens fan at the beginning of the season that they are eight and three, they are holding the number one spot in the conference at this point in the season, they would say sounds about right. But obviously injuries have taken their toll. 
the Ravens have been sloppy overall. They have really struggled to put together complete games. There's only been, I think, two games this year where the offense and defense together have had successful performances, whether you want to measure that by DVOA or measure that by whatever metric you like. And that would be against the Chargers and the Broncos. They had two really nice games there from kind of start to finish on both sides of the ball. Other than that, it has been sloppy Joe central. There have been up and down games where their defense is letting up 80 yard touchdowns. They lead the NFL in number of explosive plays allowed over 40 yards and explosive touchdowns allowed over 40 yards. Their offense mighty hot to start the season, especially in the second half of football games. They were putting up big points, able to dig themselves out of some really significant holes in the first half. And over the last three or four or five games, they've struggled. Lamar Jackson has struggled mightily, a pretty cold stretch from him, to say the least. And they've somehow managed to continue grinding out games at the end. Even against the Chicago Bears the week prior to this one, they're able to go win a game with a backup quarterback without many you know, uh, talented players on their offensive line or in their backfield. They're missing some cornerbacks there. They're, they're down to really two functional cornerbacks in that game and they're winning it ultimately. So they've shown resiliency. They've shown a lot of the immeasurable stuff at the end of football games and been able to play really strong situational football. I think one of the sneakiest things about this team is that their defense is number one in the NFL and number in frequency of punts forced on drives. They also are the number one third down defense in terms of percentage of getting off the football field. And they're also the number one red zone defense in terms of allowing touchdowns versus not when opponents get into the red zone. So um, as I said, it's a really tough question to answer, but they're continuing to grind out wins uh, somewhat consistently. And there's this kind of growing uncomfortability in the fan base and everybody's got, oh, they're for real or they're not a lot of talking points, radio talk show stuff and things of that nature. But at this point, they've shown the ability to close out games, and it's it's hard to measure that, but they have. Now, one of the stats uh, that, that that calls into question just how good the the Ravens are is their point differential. That they're eight and three, but they've only scored twenty three more points than they've given up. And uh, I contrast that with with like the Philadelphia Eagles, right? Who are five and seven and are plus thirty one. Right, so the, the Ravens would you would you categorize that more as you know the Ravens being a, an up and down team or or a lucky team or do you think there's actually a character built up into the Ravens that uh, that they're finding ways to win games that maybe you know they shouldn't if you look at just numbers you just look at stats but they're finding the ways to make the plays when they matter not you know necessarily just just dominating games. Well, you go look at a few of their wins, the Vikings, the Chiefs, the Colts, they're trailing, digging out of holes, Um, unbelievable comebacks, win probability at certain points, very low, and able to go win those games. So those are, are, they look like spectacular wins in hindsight, but they're three-point wins, two-point wins, one-point wins, you know, very close wins. They also play close games. I know the Steelers can relate to this and so can the Browns. The Lions, for whatever reason, have just given every team in the AFC North so much trouble. And I think that's a microcosm of the Ravens specifically being forced to use depth very early and often they have to create really tailored game plans from week to week in order to play away from team strengths. And a lot of that is trying to play keep away. A lot of that is trying to hold the ball. A lot of that is trying to play conservatively on the back end when they keep giving up big plays 
Um, some of these things keep happening, blown assignments and coverage. So they play solid games overall for the most part. Like I said, the offense has struggled, but defensively there's just even the, even the Browns game on Sunday, I think Baker had some maybe 240 yards passing. Three of those came on two. One was a deep cross. One was a sale concept, both kind of single high beaters. And then another one on a play action where Marlon Humphrey just kind of lets, I think it was Austin Hooper. It was either Austin Hooper or Harrison Bryant go and 40 yards. So it's like three plays accounted for like 55% of their passing yards there. And it's, it's just bad execution on assignments defensively. I think it's kept a lot of teams in games. Uh, the bears, for instance, score a touchdown where, you know, the, the Brandon Stevens, the Ravens rookie safety who's come in to start it try is it's a cover zero. Everybody knows cover zero. It's been a huge talking point around the Ravens, and the NFL for like two years now, even though they've been doing it for like 15, but Brandon Stevens fails to shoot a gap. Andy Dalton gets to hold the ball. Chris Westry, the Ravens corner tries to play the stick. Boom. It's a long touchdown. So a lot of these are blown assignments. And then the, like I said, the Ravens offense has just struggled. So there's a lot of inconsistency. Uh, the Ravens have shown the ability though, at the end of games, regardless of whether it's defensively needing to make a play or offensively needing to sustain a drive that they've just been able to get it done. So it's kind of that immeasurable aspect of being efficient at the end of games and doing a good job with clock management, making sure that you use your timeouts early enough so that you get the ball back with ample time to go down and score or vice versa, bleeding the clock out as much as you can. So your opponent doesn't. So they've done a good job late. I give John Harbaugh a ton of credit. Um, He's, he's kind of really been able to, play kind of mistake-free coaching decisions late in games as well. So they've done a good job closing out, but this team could easily be on the other side of the sword if if they're making mistakes as a coaching staff, if they're not able to kind of pick themselves up, go into tempo offense, or, or go settle at the end of games. So uh, they're continuing to drag them out. I think if, if the Ravens were, let's say, 6-6 six and six right now, nobody would bat an eye. Uh, it, it would, or 5-6, and 6-5, six, six and five, whatever it would be, nobody would bat an eye. It would be explainable every single game they play aside from two or three, I guess, because the Bengals kind of ran shop on them a little bit. So all but three games have been relatively close and uh, they've, they've just continued to have a little bit of a horseshoe up their bum. Hey, there's nothing wrong with uh, having that as long as you keep winning. Right. But uh, in perspective of the rivalry itself between these two teams, we we know how historic uh, every Steelers Ravens matchup is. From the Ravens' perspective, are you enjoying kind of watching the downfall of Ben Roethlisberger as his career kind of uh, winds up? Uh, I'm just curious what uh, Ravens fans think seeing Ben's uh, numbers taper off and not uh, just pull the Steelers to wins on a consistent week-to-week basis. It really frustrates me personally to watch. I It's frustrating to watch the way that he kind of is so immobile at this point in his career and – the things he still tries to do and some of the goofy things that happen. It's really frustrating just because I, I I don't know why it just makes me uncomfortable that they haven't been able to find a contingency plan for him yet. And that there's still, it's really hard to put into words. He's still capable of running such a specific offense with quick timing and floating balls down the sideline and throwing some really accurate nine balls and laying it up for chase Claypool, the timing, how smart he is still. But when you go look at guys that are, are kind of at the similar crescendo of their career where it's you know Aaron Rodgers Tom Brady some of these other guys um it kind of reminds me I guess a little bit more of an Eli Manning but he's still able to get things done and can conduct good drives and sustain success like have a couple scoring drives it just makes me uncomfortable to watch I don't really enjoy it and I don't really count the Steelers out either 
a Mike Tomlin team. I will never count out a Ben Roethlisberger team. I'll never count out. And if any Ravens fan who does go watch last year, they, they give the Ravens trouble. They can give anyone trouble. They're extremely well coached. They always will be, you know, they can execute. They can go play with good teams. Sometimes they'll lose to bad teams at this point, but it, it's just really a peculiar situation uh, for my eyes, at least. And I know that Ravens fans kind of, Ben Roethlisberger's washed and this and that. And, and to a degree he is, but mentally he can still just string together drives through whatever sort of dark magic he still has in his back pocket. And it's it's just kind of a perplexing offense to watch overall. <laughs> that is an interesting way to put it. Uh, you spoke about Mike Tomlin being a great coach. And one of the big points in this rivalry has been Harbaugh and Tomlin uh, head and matching up. How do you look as a Ravens fan at, at Harbaugh and Mike Tomlin in this rivalry? I think they're pretty similar coaches in many ways, the way that they are kind of a football executive. And there's these, these whispers at times where there's a guy like Andy Reid or Sean McVay or Kyle Shannon. Oh, they're not X's and O's guys. They're not X's and O's guys. What do they really do? If if I ever got the pleasure of getting Mike Tomlin or John Harbaugh in on a whiteboard for two hours, I would learn an inordinate amount of football. And so would 99.999% of humans in the world. So these guys just do such a great job keeping their teams competitive through discipline and depth. They hold every player accountable from the top to the bottom. And like you said, it used to be, you know, Ray Lewis, Heinz Ward, Ed Reed, Troy Polamalu, Ben Flacco, Ray Rice, you know, Todd Heap, Joey Porter, um, Rod Woodson, you know, all, all these different names. But the two that have kind of prevailed now for the length of the rivalry are those two. And they've been the story that have continued it. They've played on Thanksgiving. You know, they've had interesting moments, Harbaugh getting upset after games or Tomlin sticking his leg out a little bit on a Thanksgiving game or <laughs> so many interesting aspects. But both of these coaches, they take themselves seriously. They take their team seriously. They take the, the 70th guy on the practice squad as seriously as they do, you know, a starter. And I think it pays off. There is no letdown. They stay even keel. They conduct themselves with a definite air of professionalism outwardly and inwardly. They have a lot of intensity, a lot of passion, and are smart guys. So I just think that there's a lot of parallels between the two. I think that they ultimately there, – there could have been you know a little feisty animosity towards the beginning when Tomlin was early in his tenure and Harbaugh was early in his tenure. But at this point, they know each other. They smile when they see each other. They have a lot of words for each other and nice, calm conversations before games that last a long time. So – these two have just maintained competitive errors to their team. They, I think that they do a great job of bringing in coaches that fit the same energy or style or passion that they have. A lot of veteran coaches, rarely is it going to be these up-and-coming, young, you know, bright-eyed, bushy-tailed offensive coordinators or defensive coordinators. It's going to be guys that they've had ties to for 20 years. It's going to be guys that they know and trust, and they're going to give those guys a little bit of autonomy as well. And I think that's what makes them unique. I think that Baltimore and Pittsburgh are kind of coordinators havens in different ways because they do get a good bit of autonomy. They're going to get to run. They're going to get some input for sure. They're going to have certain ways that Harbaugh and Tomlin want their teams to play. But at the end of the day, you're going to be able to conduct your scheme and make it fit you know, the energy or the style of those respective coaches. And I think that uh, they're, they're now going for, I think, the second most or maybe it's the first most. I, I just saw it today games that coaches have coached against each other on the same team at this point. I think this is the 23rd matchup, if I'm not mistaken. So over the years, it, it's just become this really classic, uh, I think kind of classy 
connection between the two and the parallels, the way they speak about each other outwardly. And I really enjoy it. I think it's really pleasant at this point. And the rivalry between these two teams isn't as like salt, piss and vinegar as it used to be, but it, uh, it still has kind of that same passion and it's become a storied rivalry at this point. So I enjoy it very much. So the Steelers defense uh, this year has really struggled against the run after a uh, number of key injuries here. Um, the Ravens' offense, obviously, is a built on the running game. What's uh, what should we expect in this game? Should Steelers fans be uh, nervous that uh, there could be a, uh, a number of uh, rushing yards put up against this defense? Uh, could Lamar Jackson and company go wild? Well, the Ravens, I would say, have an effective run game still, but they don't really have an explosive run game. And I recall last year in Baltimore, the Ravens were able to rack up well over 200 yards. J.K. Dobbins was really gashing them and doing a great job being able to get, you know, eight yard gains, explosive gains of 15 yards and able to string those out. And they simply don't have the horses this year to do that. But Devontae Freeman, I think, has quietly done a really nice job for Baltimore. Their offensive line is not a uber talented group, but they're diverse. It's Greg Roman's offense. They're going to run man. They're going to run gap. They're going to run, you know, zone. They're going to hit you from all angles. They're going to have guys in motion. They're going to give get have jet sweeps, counter bash, all these different concepts that they're going to hit you with. So that allows the offensive line to kind of keep that up, that card up their sleeve to be able to hit you where you're not expecting it. And uh, with, with, you know, Devin Bush struggling a little bit this year and we'll see what happens with TJ Watt, but yeah, it's uh, you know, Tyson Alulu, a player that was really effective last year and has, has struggled to stay healthy this year. So uh, I don't think the Ravens are going to be able to really hurt the Steelers on flipping the field with runs, but they continue to grind out first downs power situations third or fourth and short they are running downhill Latavius Murray I keep calling him the zombie shark because whatever the play is he does not care what happens around him he is going to hit it full stride he will run over his own offensive linemen and injure them he is like a mindless killer he's been really good on short yardage situations and Devontae Freeman has no juice left at this point uh in terms of like he doesn't have a fifth gear or a sixth gear maybe not even a fourth gear but man, oh man, is he cutting guys up in the hole. He's been able to go get eight-yard gains and seven-yard gains and make a guy miss here and there. I think he's made someone miss uh, in five straight games at this point, so he's quietly done a nice job. So uh, I think that the Steelers are going to key on Lamar Jackson. They've always done that. They you know, are going to surf. They're going to have an end, go hit him and run with him, and they're going to focus their linebackers on containing him as they always have and will probably continue to do, especially in those five-man fronts. But uh, I think the Ravens will – you know, run the ball early and often. I don't think they're going to be averaging seven yards a carry, but they can go squeak out four, four and a half, maybe five yards a carry and move the chains when they need to. So uh, I think it's going to be a little bit more difficult for the Ravens to activate the run game in that way. But like you said, the Steelers are a little bit beat up and have had some struggles. So uh, perhaps, perhaps they can hit a big one. I just don't know that it's going to happen from the running backs. Maybe a guy like Devin Duvernay that they've been using is kind of a motion H they can use on some counter bash and hit a big one, something like that. But uh, it'll it'll be a, another knockout drag out brawl between these two, especially in the trenches on that side of the ball. Early in this season, uh, talking about the Ravens just among our staff on our Slack channel, uh, it was very much like Lamar Jackson is just dragging this team to wins. Like their offense was just basically Lamar Jackson doing incredible stuff. Has that changed? Uh, what's going on with Lamar Jackson and, and what kind of season is he having and what's he like right now? What, what can we expect to see here? 
It's been a really weird season. I think that there's a lot of shades of last year of what we saw. Lamar came out. He there's a lot of a lot of kind of privacy about what he likes to do with throwing coaches uh, in the off season. This year, we got a story for the first time, really, where he allowed someone from the outside to come and really take a hold of what he was doing mechanically and some different things. And he he ended up liking it because he likes to throw from a lot of different arm slots. He's very pat. He's very adamant about that. He doesn't think that people understand it like he does, and he's good at it. Um, he he has some weird throws as a result of it, usually as a result of his base. But over time, he's grown and grown and grown. So like last year, this year we see him come out against the Raiders, and over the first month of the season, and he has this nice, sturdy, balanced base. His feet are split, you know, shoulder width. He's staying throw ready. He's scanning the field really well. He's manipulating defenders with his eyes. He's reading leverage well. All things that he's done before. And just like last year, the offensive line has a little bit of struggles in pass protection. And suddenly he's dropping his eyes. He's dropping, he's tucking the ball. He's, you know, getting ready to run a lot. He doesn't seem to trust this offensive line. And I think that over the last couple of weeks, they've done a really nice, you know, they, they get beat. Like I said, they're not a super talented unit, but they've done a nice job using Pat Ricard, using Eric Tomlinson, using Mark Andrews in the backs to take away kind of defense's primary pass rushing threat. And in this Browns game, like we've seen a couple times in the last month, like I mentioned, he is dropping his eyes and missing wide open defenders, or excuse me, wide open receivers against blown coverages. And that is the exact same thing we saw last year. And that's why the Ravens had to really lean on their run game. They ended up going into empty a lot, motioning J.K. Dobbins last year, running counter bash out of it. They were running for like 265 yards a game uh, down the stretch last year to push themselves into the playoffs. And his timing wasn't there. When he sees something, He's not trusting it. We end up seeing a lot of these pump fakes and it's not, you know, the Ben Roethlisberger shoulder roll. It's the ball's coming up and he's pulling it back down because he doesn't like it. We've seen that time and time again, the Steelers forced a fumble on that in Baltimore in the red zone last year when he did something like that. So hesitation. And I think kind of uh, not a lot of trust in his pass pro. It feels like his internal clock is off a little bit. Um, he hasn't been able to connect on as many deep shots. He was pushing the ball downfield at a historic rate through the first two months of the season. He was averaging like over 12 yards per throw in terms of average distance of target. And we've seen that reduce. Teams have respected it a little bit more. Um, guys have come and gone. Lamar's sick for a while. That could contribute, but I don't love to talk about that because I've already seen this before. Uh, he was sick with COVID last year, I guess. So maybe there's a parallel there, but he, he just doesn't seem to really trust his guys to go make plays at times. Um, he ends up forcing the ball to Mark Andrews a little bit too much. And there's guys like Sammy Watkins and Rashad Bateman you'd like to see get involved a little bit more who come open quite a good bit, and he just isn't really reading the field well right now. And it's a lot of the stuff that we saw last year, so he still maintains the threat with his legs. He still can make unbelievable plays. He can still fit balls in weird places and uh, has a ton of arm talent and things like that, but he's just not playing with as much kind of uh, instinctual confidence as a result of tried practice as he has in 2019 as he did earlier this season when he's you know averaging 400 yards a game at one point i think about nine games in he was on pace to break the nfl's yards per game uh total offense over a game and over a 16 game and obviously over a 17 game stretch and it's been a little bit contained now more so the miami dolphins i think rattled him a little bit on third on a thursday night where he you know faces a ton of pressure isn't able to connect with guys in stride has a couple things go wrong and there's been some variants with turnovers and things that haven't gone his way, but ultimately Jackson, you know, still, still is a great threat, but it's, it's difficult at this point in the season to 
really dig your heels back in and go back to where you were two months ago in terms of mechanics. Feels like some things have impacted him. Uh, there's various factors, but uh, I think that he's still a very dangerous player, but he's not as consistent as he was earlier in the year. So with this team, I guess, um, obviously you mentioned the offensive line, uh, and one of the members of that line uh, is a former Steeler and Alejandro Villanueva. How has he stepped in? I, I know he struggled a, a decent uh, bit at the end of his Steelers tenure. How has he looked as a, in, a, in the purple and, excuse me, purple and black uniform? It's a lot of the same things we saw in Pittsburgh. I mean, he's six foot nine. He has a prodigious wingspan. He's very high cut. He doesn't have super, you know, he's, he's not this sand in the pants guy that has all this stopping power in his legs. Um, I wouldn't say that he's stiff, but he's just so darn tall. And he's a really high variance kind of risk reward pass protector. I'd say where he, he shoots his hands for these snatches. Uh, he goes for the Hamilton technique a lot. He wants to shoot his long arms down over top so that he can reset and win inside and when he loses, he loses cleanly and quickly. And it's, it's you know, a, a big-time pressure that ruins a play. But I think that he's done a nice job overall in terms of staying competent, competitiveness. He's been a really nice run blocker at times. Um, I, I think that a lot of Steelers fans, you know, were like, oh, well, good luck. He's not going to fit in Baltimore. He's, he's not blocking the run. Well, the Ravens run a, a much different scheme up front than they do in Pittsburgh. So he's done a nice job in the run game. He's been able to lay on guys. Um, in power situations, he's been a mega factor using his length to down block and really move guys. He has good hand placement in the run game. He just is is almost too big to play tackle. He's a little bit too tall. He's a little bit you know too long where it can be to uh, to his detriment at times. He like I said, he just doesn't have the stopping power in his legs, so he has to kind of win with his arms. And when someone gets into his chest pads, they can move it. So he's he's definitely let up some pressures, let up some sacks. Continued to hustle, continued to to win reps. He's had some really kind of teach tape on some of these snatches that he's done in pass protection quite a few times. But you see him try to spend training camp on the right side. Ronnie Stanley ends up not being able to go. He switches back to the left side after week one. Looks a lot better on the left side. So he can be gotten. He, he loses a couple every game. But I think it gets a little bit exaggerated because when he loses, it's usually a big loss more so than kind of, you know, maintaining a loss around the edge and having a hand on a guy. Someone will come completely clean because he's he's so aggressive in his hand placement that it ends up with a big loss. So uh, I like the addition. He's really been invaluable. Ravens fans hate him to death because he loses. And I think they're used to the standard that Ronnie Stanley has set and Orlando Brown with being able to play in this kind of run-heavy offense that sets guys up to, to not lose much in the past game. And he's lost a lot. The Ravens throw the ball more. He loses, but... I think that he's done a nice job considering the the value they got on him, considering where he is in this point in his career. And he's continued to compete. He stayed healthy and is uh, definitely going to be looking forward to this one. Now, with the Steelers likely not having TJ Watt, uh, they're also missing two guys who last year and previous years before that were, were big-time defenders against the Ravens, always had really – big plays and seem to really do well against the Ravens and Stefan to and Bud Dupree. Uh, I think Stefan to Yeah. Stefan to had had a couple phenomenal games in the last couple of years against the Ravens and Bud Dupree, his, his stats are always better against the Ravens than anyone else. Uh, if those guys with, with two of them out, definitely. And like you said, Tyson Aluwalu, who's been big in the middle uh, against the Ravens and likely without TJ White, uh, what, what do the Ravens have to fear on the Steelers' defense when you can look and see what, like, the Steelers giving up rushing yards to just about everybody? 
I, I imagine a lot of Raven fans are thinking like they're just going to run all over the Steelers. And I know a lot of Steeler fans are thinking, oh, my goodness, this is the worst time to face the Ravens. Uh, do you think that matters or and, and what what do you think is going to happen here? Another couple of players I would add on to that even are, are Vince Williams, who has been phenomenal as a run blitzing inside linebacker. He and, and as a pass rusher hitting the A gap. I don't know that there were many better in the NFL over the last couple of years at hitting the A-gap like he did against the run in the pass, uh, being just a, a real kind of brick, you know, outhouse, so to speak, to be able to, to make plays against the run. Uh, Mike Hilton being so smart, able to pressure off the side and uh, being a great run defending, probably the best run defending nickel in the NFL. So plenty of losses there for the Steelers, absolutely. Um, I, I don't know that there's, other than Minka Fitzpatrick, especially if there's no TJ Watt, you know, Cam Hamworth, Geez, Cam Hayward, they're probably going to be able to assault with but multiple bodies, a ton of concepts, running at him, running away from him, you know, combo blocks, trapping him, you know, all kinds of stuff to be able to throw him for a loop. So he's going to be kind of their, their center of focus there. But I would just say that to, to not fear a Pittsburgh Steelers team uh, defense specifically that, that can play with such physicality and can continue to pull themselves up for this game, They've, like I said, they do the scrape exchange against the option stuff really well. They know the Ravens option concepts better than anyone in the NFL does. They've done a good job stringing them out. They don't want Lamar Jackson to be the one to beat them. And like I said, in, in terms of running the football, if you're happy letting J.K. Dobbins and Gus Edwards beat you, you're ecstatic to let Devontae Freeman and Latavius Murray beat you. So I think that kind of, uh, Game planning around that for the Ravens is key. And I don't know that there's a ton to fear other than the fact that the, the Steelers are going to want to finish plays, man. This is the, the Steelers-Ravens rivalry. They're going to want to be as physical as possible. If there was a game for them to have, you know, the, the, the win one for the Gipper mentality and pull themselves up by their bootstraps and go finish plays, hit through the whistle, get a couple, you know, unnecessary roughness, who cares, man? It's, a, it's the Ravens and the Steelers. You got you to gotta play through the whistle. You got to finish. You got to wrap up. You got to make plays. Got to tip balls. Got to you know get Lamar Jackson rattled, and I think that the Steelers are going to be able to figure out a couple ways to do so. I mean, teams have thrown so much at the Ravens this year in terms of different looks, and I think that we're going to see another layer of that with this Steelers game this weekend. But it is a tall task for the Steelers. They you know are playing guys like Derek Tuska, playing guys like uh, all over the front that don't have a ton of experience. Alex Highsmith is a su supreme athlete, but very inexperienced, and not having T.J. Watt is going to put a lot of the onus on him a little bit more. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, him and Hayward end up aligning to the same side of the formation a good bit, and those guys are going to get a lot of bodies on them. So it, it's, it's a tall task for sure, but I just think any Ravens fan to look at this game and go, oh, we're going to run right through the Steelers. You know, you, you can have that kind of blind fandom, but uh, I think that the Steelers do a great job of game planning against the Ravens' run game, and Ravens don't have running backs to make them miss or hurt. You know, Taco Charlton getting in there is an athletic guy. Joe Hayden. Uh, potentially coming back for this one, Minka Fitzpatrick potentially, uh, or not potentially, Minka Fitzpatrick will be active in this one. So uh, I think that the Ravens definitely have the advantage on paper, but how many times have we seen things go awry in this robbery? Now, a couple quick questions before we let you out of here. Uh, first and foremost, what do you think the final score of this game is going to be, and uh, how is this game going to play out? I did predict that the Ravens would sweep the Steelers back in April. I think that... Uh, I don't feel as confident. I thought that Lamar Jackson, you know, has really struggled. The team that's had his number in terms of preventing him from consistently beating them with his arm or really with his legs is the Steelers. I think that's the team that you want to look to 
Uh, even though, you know, Jeff mentioned a, a ton of guys that they had more talent, you know, to it, Hayward, Watt, Vince Williams, all, you know, Alulu, all these guys up front that they could do some different things in other teams. But uh, Jackson, like I said, not in a great place right now. If there's a time for him to take himself seriously and prove that he's going to be able to settle himself down, make the right reads, deliver the ball with what he practiced this offseason, it's this year. So I'll, uh, I'll stick with what I thought to go with. I think the Ravens are going to win this one. I think that the Steelers are going to be able to manufacture a couple scoring drives just through, like I said, Ben Roethlisberger can get the ball out real quick, and Deontay Johnson, Chase Claypool, Najee Harris are guys that can make guys miss after the catch. So I think the Steelers will be able to score on like two or three drives. If it's touchdowns or field goals, I think will be the key here. Uh, so let's go, you know, 26 to 16 Ravens I'll go with. Yeah, I think that's a, a totally fair uh, score prediction, too. I think we'll, we'll see a lot of that as uh, the time goes on. But, Spencer, before we let you out of here, uh, is there anything you want to plug for the people? Yeah, absolutely. You can always follow me at Ravens, number four dummies, Ravens four dummies on Twitter, BaltimoreBeatdown.com. I, uh, if you're looking for NFL draft content, if you're looking for a look around for AFC North content, find me at BaltimoreBeatdown.com as well. I also do the sports info solutions, rookie handbook. I'm big into scouting. So once draft season hits, I kind of solely focus there and I put out a lot of tape. So if you want to come talk NFL draft, get some videos, look at small 22, all that good stuff. You can always find me on Twitter. Again, that's at Ravens for dummies. Gentlemen, I appreciate it so much. And hopefully we have a, another classic game in this rivalry with some fun plays, some high emotions and tons of, uh, tons of drama. <laughs> really couldn't ask for anything else, but uh, Spencer Schultz, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks, man. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. All righty, Steeler fans. So if you are uh, hanging out with us right now, we're going to flip over to part two. So that means if you're on YouTube and Facebook, just hang tight. We're not going anywhere. But if you're on your podcast platform, flip over to part two right now. Jeffrey Benedict can uh, celebrate his Michigan Wolverines in the second half half of the show. And we'll be right back. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered ChumbaCasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. 
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.